Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is Thursday, April the 23rd. Got a good show lined up today. At the end of the program, I'll be joined by the MLA for Kelowna Lake Country, Norm Letnick, as he will be hosting a virtual town hall meeting tonight with interior health officials. Starting at 7.15 this evening, people can log on to the BC Government Facebook page or YouTube channel to watch the session, which will include Medical Health Officer Sue Pollock and Interior Health CEO Susan Brown. They'll both be on that call, and they'll be answering some questions from the public, as well as providing some, uh, hopefully, some more localized information about what's going on with the novel coronavirus here in the Interior Health region. So, Norm Letnick will join me later this hour to get into some details about what that session will be all about and what those who tune in can expect to see. But to begin today's show, well, I got the chance to uh, catch up with BC Health Minister Adrian Dix earlier this morning. Minister Dix, how are you doing here today? Good morning, Jeff. Great to be on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, so I just wanted to start by looking a little bit at yesterday. We saw 71 new cases announced in the province, and that was our largest single-day increase of COVID-19 cases in, in close to a month. Uh, I was just wondering if there's anything in particular that you might be able to attribute that increase to. Well, very clearly, there's a poultry plant in uh, the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority that had uh, uh, 28 cases Uh just in the plant, and then uh, uh, there may well be other cases beyond the plant, right, of family members and so on, and that had a major effect yesterday. There's two other things that, uh, that um, happened yesterday that uh, mitigate that to some degree, mitigate the increase. One is that uh, we saw a reduction of six in people in hospital with COVID-19, which is good news, I think. There were, in long-term care in Metro Vancouver, three deaths, and that's obviously very sad. And there are also fewer people in ICU from 51 to 46, which means there are fewer severely ill people in hospital as well. Those are also measures we look at. And it, this was very specifically in Metro Vancouver that we saw the increase. So in Interior Health, for example, yesterday, in spite of the fact that a lot of people were tested in Interior Health, um, there were no new cases. And a reduction in the number of people in hospital and a reduction in the people in ICU. So this was specific, and what I think we've consistently said is let's not take too much from any individual day. I think really it's better to look at averages over days about new cases, and yesterday was an example in one direction. But look, we're very concerned, right? And in this case and in other cases, there are about clusters of people that are the result of effectively and perhaps people working sick. And right now, because of COVID-19, if you have respiratory illness, it's very unlikely to be influenza at this point because we're passing influenza season. So this is especially the time that when you're sick, you have to, have to, have to stay home. And I know that that's been the message from yourself and, and Dr. Henry now for quite some time. If you feel sick in any way, shape, or form, you know, you got to make sure you stay home. I heard Dr. Henry say, even if you think it's just allergies, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, you got to make sure you're, you're 100% before going back to work. So with that in mind, I guess, um, I don't know if you can express maybe some disappointment with the fact that you are seeing, uh, in this particular case, when it comes to this poultry plant, that there were a number of people working who, who did have symptoms or were feeling unwell. I mean, is that something that you have a, a lot of concern with in the sense that, you know, it's happened once here at a poultry plant, but who's to say that's not happening elsewhere right now as well? 
Well, as you know, and it's especially challenging in that industry, which is an essential service, right? We absolutely need to have uh, food to put on the table. So that poultry plant and the beef plant and other plants in Alberta, for example, where there was a severe case, some of the Tyson plants in the United States are having problems. Uh, this work is very challenging work, very challenging to maintain physical distancing. People have to do it within workplaces. And I think it, it illustrates the risk of people working sick. And look, I, I don't want to blame anybody who got sick because this is a terrible thing to get sick with. And uh, it's not anyone's fault, you know, that COVID-19 is here in our province and people are getting sick with it. So I don't want to be blaming people, but it's very, very important that people not work sick. And this is an especially a challenge in essential uh, services such as healthcare and such as um, the food industry in a general sense, because of course all of those people are working right now. Uh, one, one of the major problems that has kind of been discussed throughout this whole pandemic really here in BC was the issue of uh, those working in long-term care facilities and um, and their ability to work at multiple facilities, right? And you have been working for quite some time to get uh, make sure that people are only working at one facility in order to reduce uh, the possible spread and, and that, tr- uh, that tracing that comes with it. Uh, just where are you in that process? I know there was some questions during yesterday's press conference about, uh, you know, people who are exempt from, from that rule like doctors and pharmacists but just where is the province in terms of getting um, those actual uh, long-term care workers into individual homes Uh, i think in in most places um, the process is done most health authorities have done in northern health you know most of the most of the care homes are in most communities in northern health there aren't multiple care homes in any event right in in a town so um, and most people are health health authority owned and operated care homes so it doesn't affect them interior health is a little bit different but it has some of the same you know circumstances in many communities there's only one care home so the issue doesn't apply but it does in communities such as Kelowna and Kamloops obviously and uh, and I think they're making progress in interior health they're getting there uh, Vancouver Coastal Health started first because that's where most of our deaths have been and most of the early severe cases particularly at Harold Park and Lynn Valley care homes one in North Bend and one in Vancouver and Island Health is almost completely done. Fraser Health started later and it has thousands of employees in these circumstances. And there's two considerations here that take a little time. If you allowed everyone to choose their own care home without organization, then you could have care homes that don't have sufficient staff. So the, it, it does take a little while because we're concerned with the residents, not just on this issue of multiple sites, but making sure that they have enough care. But they're getting they're getting closer and it should be, it should be done soon. This is a process that worked over time and like there was a time when there was one uh, collective agreement um, in long-term care whether they were public or private or or uh, health authority owned and operated I think um, after bill 29 and stuff there's uh, that happened a long time ago now and there are 95 contracts and that makes it challenging but uh, we've been on this from the beginning in all homes that have an outbreak and it'll almost be done and I think everyone would agree it's a very important thing to do there are other important things to do in care homes, though, Jeff. That it means, uh, unfortunately, the, the severe limits on visitors, the um, the testing and the extraordinary testing that we've done uh, of care staff um, in the system is an important consideration. The proper use of PPE so that even under the circumstances where someone was sick, that residents are protected. Um, these are all things that uh, are required as well. I think we're making some progress, but. People in care homes are incredibly vulnerable to this, and so uh, we have to take uh, extraordinary action. And 
we are, and um, we're going to have to continue to for a while to come. And I assume that that's probably going to be a policy that will be adopted on a permanent basis moving forward. I, can, I don't know if you can say for sure that that'll be the case yet or not. But um, well, right, right now it's a provincial health order, and so it is. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, what we're facing with COVID-19 is um, uh, an illness without a, without a vaccine. Uh, and so uh, even though we're going through an initial period now and we're trying to flatten the curve now, until we get a vaccine, we're going to be dealing with COVID-19 for um, some time to come. And I would say that will be um, certainly more than a year or be at least a year anyway to come. Okay. Um, I know Premier uh, Scott Moe, Premier of Saskatchewan, is uh, planning to uh, give an address here at some point this morning uh, just to talk about his plans to reopen the province. And, and with that in mind, I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, you know, what other provinces are doing? How much is that potentially going to, to dictate what we do here in B.C.? I, I'm assuming, you know, B.C. is on its own timeline, but I know that as we see other provinces start to try to open things up, there's going to be more pressure from the public to, to follow suit. So I just wanted to know how, how you're looking at other provinces when it comes to this plan to, to begin lifting restrictions. Well, we're, we're looking at them carefully. I mean, if, if you recall in March, uh, Quebec had an early spring break for students in March. And when people were coming back from spring break from different parts of the world, they were coming back sick. And that gave us, and watching them, uh, told us we needed to um, tell people before spring break not to go away. Right? So we are constantly looking at other jurisdictions from uh, Korea to uh, uh, Hubei province in China to Italy to other things to guide our decisions. That's true in this case. Saskatchewan has a different circumstance. Uh, I would say if you look across the country, Ontario and Quebec have seen the most cases, the most deaths, and in some respects the most chaos from this, right? Mm -hmm. um, Alberta and BC are kind of on a similar track, I would say. Um, Alberta recently, just like us, had a very severe um, circumstance in a particular plant uh, in High River, Alberta. And so that was significant, I think, hundreds and hundreds of cases in a town of 13,000, if you can imagine that. And so the, Saskatchewan has had quite a bit, few fewer cases. So if we had their circumstances, uh, you might see us acting as they are right now, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's fair enough. And I've been in regular contact. Jim Reader's the health minister. He's a good guy there. And uh, we're in regular contact talking about these things. In B.C., we were first with our modeling to tell people where we were at. This is why how we're making decisions. We um, we included did more on modeling last week. I really encourage your viewers to look at that modeling, and in particular, page 34, which tells you a little bit about the consideration for the future. It shows what would happen if we took off all the restrictions. In other words, the virus would skyrocket, and we'd probably have to put restrictions back on, mm -hmm. and, and the kind of actions that we might be able to take, uh, the level of activity we might be able to take while maintaining control of transmission. So we're going to be back. We said um, it was last Friday. We said we'd be back in uh, two weeks or a little over two weeks with more modeling and more advice and guidance on that question. And uh, we're on track uh, in BC. We'll be, there'll be some people ahead of us. There'll be some people behind us. But we've been first to provide the public with information. And we're just going to continue to do that. Well, Minister Dix, uh, I think that wraps up our time that I have scheduled here. So I really want to thank you for, uh, you know, coming on and speaking with me. I think this is our third uh, biweekly chat here now, it feels like. So yeah. really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Thank you so much. Happy to talk next week, and uh, we'll just uh, stay updated. And thanks to everybody in Camelot. So I think people uh, in the community are doing a great job here in uh, in uh, following the guidance. And that means they're saving lives and saving disruption. 
And uh, if we keep flattening the curve, um, uh, we're going to be able to uh, hopefully uh, provide some opening soon. So that means keep continuing to do what we're doing. And I so appreciate it. I'm so grateful for it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. All right. You as well. That was BC Health Minister Adrian Dick. Some interesting stuff in there, and I want to dig into a little bit of the detail of what he had said. So I'm going to be doing that uh, coming up after this. So I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Jeff Andrea Show in just a little bit. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show and thanks so much for tuning in here with me. It is Thursday, April the 23rd. Now last segment I spoke with Health Minister Adrian Dix and if you missed that chat you can hear it online at RadioNL.com slash podcasts or you can find the Jeff Andrea Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So if you want to hear my chat with Adrian Dix there's more than uh, enough opportunity for you to go about and hear that chat. Now Earlier this morning, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe gave an address where he talked about his plans for beginning to ease restrictions in that province. We have to find the middle ground that continues to keep our case numbers low and keep Saskatchewan people safe, while at the same time allowing for businesses to reopen and Saskatchewan people to get back to work. We know that some of the largest outbreaks in Saskatchewan were also uh, due to large social gatherings like curling bond spiels or snowmobile rallies. The restrictions on public gatherings remains in place at this time. Other than allowable businesses, public gatherings remain limited to no more than 10 people. And we know that the largest risk and the deadliest outbreaks in our nation have occurred in our seniors' long-term care homes. So all current rules and restrictions for long-term care facilities will remain in place for the foreseeable future, and this is to keep our family members in those very facilities safe. Now, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix, again, who I mentioned I spoke with earlier today, uh, he talked about how other provinces and making these types of decisions to start easing their restrictions, how is that going to impact BC's plans to reopen things here? Saskatchewan has had quite a bit, few fewer cases, so if we had their circumstances you might see us acting as they are right now, right? And that's fair enough. And I've been in regular contact. Jim Reader's the health minister. He's a good guy there. And uh, we're in regular contact talking about these things. In B.C., we were first with our modeling to tell people where we were at. This is why how we're making decisions. We included, did more on modeling last week. I really encourage your viewers to look at that modeling. And in particular, page 34, which tells you a little bit about the consideration for the future. It shows what would happen if we took off all the restrictions. Well, on page 34 of that document, which was released on Friday the 17th, that shows that there were 52 people in intensive care due to COVID-19 on that date. Now, the modeling shows that with our current restrictions, which is about 30% of normal activity, we should be able to get close to zero cases by mid-May. Now, if we go to 40% of normal activity, that time frame expands to early June. If we go to 60%, we're looking well into June. If we go to 80% of normal activity, well, we would have about 170 people in ICU in BC by early June. And if we went to 100% of normal activity, we would pass 200 people in the ICU after about a week into May. So to extrapolate that, 
I mean, we had 52 cases in the ICU on the 17th compared to 652 active cases of COVID-19. So nearly 8% of all active cases were in critical care of some kind. Now, if you took a direct correlation between those two numbers and extrapolate that, which I'm sure is not perfect science, at 100% of our normal activity, we would see about 200 cases in the ICU by May 5th. And that would indicate we would have somewhere in the vicinity of 2,500 active cases in the province. That is not somewhere that we want to be. Now, of course, we are all trying to get out of this thing together. We're all looking for a light at the end of the tunnel here. And the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, announced earlier today that an additional $1.1 billion will be spent on a national medical and research strategy, which will hopefully help get us out of this life that we are currently living in a more swift fashion. Under this plan, we're investing close to $115 million for research into vaccines and treatments being developed in hospitals and universities across the country. This is on top of the funding we've already provided to support vaccine development in Canada. The second pillar of the plan is to make sure that once we have potential vaccines and treatments, we can test a wide range of options. Under this plan, we will invest over $662 million for clinical trials led by Canada. A vaccine is the long-term solution to this virus, but these drugs will take months to develop, test, fabricate, and roll out. So until we have something ready, we need to control the spread of the virus. And that's where the third pillar of this plan comes in. We're investing $350 million to expand national testing and modeling of COVID-19. This includes creating the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force. Trudeau also spoke on long-term care homes and the concerns that have always existed when it comes to them living in close quarters and providing easy spaces for the virus to spread. And it's not just about COVID-19. We see it with the flu. We see it with other types of illnesses as well. Just how quickly things can spread when people are living in those close quarters. We're seeing terrible tragedies in long-term care facilities across the country. This is unacceptable. If you're angry, frustrated, scared, you're right to feel this way. We can do better. We need to do better. Because we are failing. Our parents, our grandparents, our elders, the greatest generation who built this country. We need to care for them properly. Now, the Prime Minister said COVID-19 is exposing the failures of those facilities, but did not say yes when asked if he plans to bring them fully under Canada Health Act control. Now, this is an issue that's being discussed at length by various parties. And uh, earlier today, Howie Reimer with the NL Morning News, he caught up with Andrew Longhurst, who is a research associate with the BC Office of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and the BC Health Coalition. He's also a researcher and policy analyst with the Health Sciences Association of British Columbia issue that has been on the radar for many years uh, and it's coming to light now in a very real and very troubling way um, and so the single site order means that wages will be increased um, to the provincially unionized standard the, it's often referred to as the industry standard to ensure that any worker who's affected by that single site order is not losing income as a result of having to only work at one site because what we've seen over the last 
two decades is that many workers, especially in, who are working in for-profit care homes, they're cobbling together a couple part-time jobs. Um, they're working for subcontractors. Longhurst also spoke on the concerns about cost and the private sector facilities having no cap on how much they can charge, which of course creates problems for moderate and low-income seniors and the tenancy protections being used or sorry, being an issue when it comes to that as well. In all assisted living, um, regardless of whether it's publicly subsidized or if it's entirely private pay, assisted living as a sector does not fall under the Residential Tenancy Act. And this is an issue that BC Seniors Advocate has raised concerns around uh, whether uh, seniors are going to be, should they see changes in their income or if operators uh, increase um, the housing charge, uh, what kind of um, predicament that's going to put place upon seniors and whether they're going to face some issues and potentially homelessness as a result. So it's a problem. We know it's a problem. Health Minister Adrian Dix acknowledged that it's a problem. And he's been working to try to address the concerns. He mentioned it to me earlier in the show that workers being in a single facility will be the new norm for at least the next year. I have a strong belief as well that that will be adopted as new policy here in this province as we have seen during this pandemic just how easily this virus can spread between homes and impact are most vulnerable. 90 people have passed away from COVID-19 in BC and the vast majority of those are coming in the form of seniors who are living in long-term care facilities. And that is not the risk that we should be putting on our family members, the ones who cared for us, who raised us, and you know, to have them be in a position where they are susceptible to illness and death at a rate that is much higher than normal, in my opinion, is not okay. And frankly, shouldn't be viewed by anyone as being acceptable. All right, well, coming up, a town hall meeting is set to take place this evening with Interior Health officials. They're going to be answering some questions as it pertains to COVID-19 here in the Interior Health region, so we can get hopefully a little bit more localized information when it comes to that. I'll be joined by one of the hosts of that meeting after this, so please stay tuned. More Jeff Andrea show is coming up after the break. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Radio NL. It is Thursday, April the 23rd. Now, today we here in the interior region have a chance to hear from some local health officials starting at 7.15 tonight. Yeah, people can log on to the BC government Facebook page or YouTube channel to check it out. And it's going to include some uh, discussion with medical health officers Sue Pollock and Interior Health CEO Susan Brown. And it's going to be hosted by MLA Norm Letnick. And I'm joined on the line now by the MLA for Kelowna Lake Country, who will be hosting this evening's meeting, Norm Letnick. Norm, how you doing here today? Excellent, Jeff. How's you? Ah, not too bad. I can't complain. Well, that's not true. I could complain, but I won't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, just, a, just a little bit. Uh, Katrine Conroy is also hosting, co-hosting with me. Yes, yes. I, I did. Yes, I had that in my notes as well. I just, I, oh, okay. I guess I gl- glanced over that. I apologize. but um, <laughs> No problem. So can you maybe just give me a sense, uh, first and foremost, of what this evening's session is going to look like? I mean, can you describe for people who are listening here, um, if they do tune in this evening, what, what can they expect to see? So this is the uh, second time we're doing a town hall, virtual town hall, with our IHA leaders, uh, Dr. Sue Pollock, 
who's the chief medical officer for IH and the CEO and president, uh, Susan Brown. Uh, the first time we did it was about uh, two, three weeks ago. Seems like a long time ago. Uh, and uh, what happens is uh, people will have an hour, uh, an opportunity to uh, either send questions in ahead of time for these two experts uh, or to just watch and listen to their answers to other people's questions. Uh, if uh, they wish to send in a question during the event, they, they would have to register and they can check out uh, my Facebook page if they want to and they can find the link there and perhaps you can put it up. And uh, what will uh, happen is the... Uh, government uh, will look at the questions, make sure there's nothing inappropriate in the question, and then send it off to uh, the two MLAs, uh, as I said, uh, Katrine Conroy from the Kootenays and myself, and then we'll alternate back and forth uh, reading the questions from the public uh, to uh, Dr. Pollock or to Susan Brown. Now, this sounds like something that could take quite a bit of time, right? There's obviously a lot of questions out there from people. And uh, this is scheduled from 7.15 this evening to 8.15, so it's just an hour. I mean, is that enough time, do you think, to actually get all this stuff in? Or I guess, um, you know, is there a possibility of maybe going a little bit long? Like, just what are the parameters in terms of timing for this thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The uh, first time we did it uh, with IH, uh, we had way more questions than the time available. Uh, so uh, what uh, IH uh, committed to do then was to take the questions that weren't answered and then post the answers on their webpage, which they did rather quickly. So hats off to them. Um, I'm hoping that uh, they have the same uh, philosophy tonight um, and uh, will answer the questions that aren't answered uh, at a later time online. Now, when people are asking questions, I guess maybe you don't have to give me specific examples, but just what, what sorts of things are people looking for? I mean, if you've seen some, maybe some sample questions so far, I assume, as, especially right now as we're looking at, you know, the, the health officials here in Interior Health Region are the ones that are going to be on this call. So I'm hoping that there's people who are looking for a little bit more local information, right? We have our daily press conferences from the province with Health Minister Adrian Dix and uh, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, and they give us a nice uh, look at sort of what's happening in the province as a whole. And everything seems to have a bit more of a focus on what's going on in the lower mainland. So are people, you know, as there's so many questions, looking for more specific information about what's going on in IH? Usually it's a mix, Jeff. Um, I've seen questions, uh, again, three weeks ago that had to do with uh, personal uh, protection. You know, what should I do to make sure I don't get it or don't pass it on? And, and what are the rules of the game? Of course, We've evolved a lot, especially those that have been watching uh, Dr. Brown's uh, great presentations every day, and, and everyone has learned a lot. So I would imagine most of the questions we're going to get tonight are specific to the IH region, like um, typically, you know, why don't you tell us uh, where the outbreak is uh, when it's in a private uh, facility, or uh, why don't you, um, you know, uh, stop people from coming and working on the farms, or, you know, these kinds of questions, uh, I would imagine we're going to get tonight but you know there could be also some general questions uh province-wide questions like uh when uh, when do you think we're going to be released from the uh, uh no restaurants or other other types of uh facilities yeah, those are some great questions, and I'm not sure anyone really has the answer to, but I know people are going to continue to ask them. I uh, I hear those on a daily basis, right? When is the economy going to move back into full swing? And 
we ask the questions and we seem to get the same answer every time and it's really a, a blanket unknown we just don't know there's some potential timelines out there and, and hopefully you know it comes together sooner than later but there's just no way to really tell until we get through this whole thing together um you know you said this was the the second time you've done this now in about three weeks just curious what your audience was like when you held the first one because this one um you know from my experience has been a little bit more publicized a little bit more talked about um you know just what, what was your um experience like when you held one of these three weeks ago so when we held the first one we had uh, 1600 people register uh, to participate in the uh, virtual town hall, so through um, uh, through the um, Zoom platform, and we had uh, over half of them actually participate that way. So just because you register doesn't mean you actually sign on. So more than half did, and we also uh, rebroadcasted the the or broadcasted live the event uh, through uh, YouTube and Facebook. So I'm sure we had uh, thousands more. Uh, that watched online. So I can't uh, tell you exactly what the number was, but I would imagine it was in that range. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. And I expect, or do you expect that those numbers might increase? I mean, you mentioned just the registered people and uh, with the fact that you don't necessarily have to register for this one, right? You can just watch it online on YouTube and Facebook. I'm expecting you're going to see a, a pretty good crowd here uh, jumping on to this virtual tour or the virtual um, town hall here this evening. Yeah, I would expect it as well. Um, you know, government is, uh, has organized this one, um, and uh, they'll keep track of the metrics, and uh, uh, you'll have to ask them uh, what the numbers were afterwards. Awesome stuff, Normal. I really appreciate you taking the time. I don't have too much else to ask you. Maybe if uh, I'll let you go on this. I mean, you maybe want to encourage people to jump on here this evening because I think it's important that, uh, you know, people are informed and are paying attention to what's happening locally. So uh, just one chance here to kind of sell tonight's virtual hall, virtual meeting that's going to be taking place. Why do you think it's important that people tune in? Well, if people want to know what's happening in their backyard, and their backyard being everywhere, of course, from 100 Mile House down to the border with the United States and, and Alberta, uh, this is a great way to find out. Um, you know, it, it is unfortunate we don't have uh, the usual rivalries. Uh, you know, our hockey teams fighting each other between Kamloops and Kelowna. Sooner or later, I hope to get that back. Uh, but in the meantime, we, we're all under uh, one set of rules, and we're all working together and working really well together uh, to uh, put a dent in the in the curve and uh, hopefully opening up the economy as fast as we can. So if people have a question, by all means, uh, they can go to the uh, my Facebook site or uh, any of the MLAs in the IH district uh, should have the, that uh, information available. They can ask a question ahead of time, or they can just watch uh, via the YouTube or Facebook site of the government. Fantastic, Normal. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate it, and I hope you get lots of viewers uh, this evening. I know I'll be one of them, so appreciate your time. Thank you. Awesome, Jeff. Take care. You as well. That's the MLA for Kelowna Lake Country, who will be hosting this evening's virtual town hall session, Norm Letnick, and uh, he will be hosting that in conjunction with uh, Katrine Conroy, who is the MLA for uh, Kootenai West. And, of course, uh, there will be uh, taking questions for medical health officer Sue Pollock and Interior Health CEO Susan Brown. So uh, definitely a good chance for people to jump online, ask a few questions about what's going on here locally, and, and hopefully get a few more answers for yourself about what you are uh, hoping to hear about here in the Interior Health region. And of course, here specifically in Kamloops. And speaking of what's going on here in Kamloops, well, we did get some news here earlier today. Uh, yesterday, it was announced uh, by Mayor Ken Christian that uh, the health authority had hired a medical health officer or uh, for, for Kamloops specifically. We here in the tournament capital haven't had an MHO in about a decade, so it was uh, encouraging news, and today we did get word that Dr. Carol Fenton has started as a medical health officer with IHA in Kelowna last month and will be permanently moving to Kamloops 
later this year. So that news is now confirmed. We know who it is. And uh, Dr. Carol Fenton will be starting here in Kamloops soon. And uh, hopefully, I mean, like uh, Ken was saying yesterday, it's probably too late to do a whole lot with it uh, when it comes to this current pandemic. But uh, hopefully it helps, uh, you know, smooth things over when it comes to future issues here in Kamloops. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just remember that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great day. I'll be back here on Friday at